This is Belonging, a podcast that explores being alive in the age of loneliness. I'm your host, Becca Piastrelli, a writer, mother, and community tender currently living on the ancestral lands of the Coast Miwok people in present-day Marin County, California. In this show, we explore topics like rites of passage, cultivating meaningful community, seasonal and cyclical living, and what it means to be a good ancestor in these times. I have thought-provoking conversations with friends, teachers, elders, and ancestral medicine keepers to help support you in bringing more meaning and connection to your life. I also pop in here and there to share updates and learnings from my own story, because we were meant to do this together, cosmically holding hands as we walk the spiral of life. You can expect to be challenged by new or old ideas, face your beliefs and what systems informed them, get curious and brave to tell the truth about the deeper, harder things, and feel comforted in the knowing that you don't have to navigate it all alone. Hi, friends. Welcome to The Belonging Podcast. I'm Becca Piastrelli. I'm your host of this podcast and your guide in these conversations around what it means to be alive and human on this earth in this time, often known as the age of loneliness, and how to navigate this modern world with these ancient animal bodies. And this ancient animal body that is on this internet machine recording this intro for you right now is ready to hibernate. That's a nice little reminder the body gives. It gave it to me a few weeks ago. I think if you've been listening, you know I was sick. We got RSV, which really took us down and slowed everything down. That is a gift sickness can give us. And then our beloved 15-year-old cat completed her time here on earth. She died. We gave her a beautiful in-home death with a magnificent ceremonial vet magical man who came and sent her off with wind chimes and an altar. And it was a really beautiful experience that I shared on Instagram. And I'm in a real understanding in my body, both through that intense sickness experience and being witness to and facilitator of my beloved pet's death, that it is winter. It is winter. And despite what my brain is telling me, which is it came too fast, the year is ending so quickly, what did I accomplish? Did I accomplish enough? My body is saying, it's time to let it all go. It's time to let the earth compost and go stagnant with what does not need to be done or what no longer can be done. And it is truly time to rest, to enter into the fertile void. So, I am releasing this a few days before the solstice, the winter solstice in the Northern Hemisphere. I know we all in the Southern Hemisphere are hit in summer, and that sounds great right now, actually. And I wanted to give you one more sweet treat of an interview with a really, really special being named Treva Woods. So Treva Woods is a mixed race woman with indigenous ancestors who has two decades of experience in bodywork, education, and community building. 
Treva supports people in unpacking cultural appropriation, community building, as well as helping culture makers gift the world with their knowledge, lived experience, and wisdom. So not only they, but their clients can thrive. So I met Treva in an online community that is held by her and also this wonderful culture-making feminist business coach named Kelly Deals. And I've seen how skillful Treva is in supporting community. And then we were talking about her coming on to belonging to talk about, we talk about a lot of things in this episode, but I was interested in the ways in which she has lived experience of how to actually cultivate and hold community because I really see her as a wisdom carrier there. So in this episode, we discuss the differences between cultural appreciation and appropriation because I think we all could talk about that more, frankly, in a way that is educational and perhaps not on a Facebook thread and in a place where we can really sit at the fire and listen and learn. We talk about the challenges of building community amidst all the messiness we bring as I'm known to do, I get super real about my experience of that in these times and as a new mom. And we talk about the very real thing that I think is sometimes missing from like hashtag goddess sister circle culture online, which is the time it takes to know and trust people and how we each bring our own stories instead of experiences, dramas, generational patterns around relationality. We also unpack how hard it is to release urgency you know your girl likes to talk about that because I am living out that lesson. And Treva shares more about her ancestral story and how she's crafting local community right now with the devotional practice of a buy nothing group. I am obsessed with buy nothing groups. I will continue to be obsessed. I think it's the most beautiful, accessible way for each of us to dive deep into our hyper local communities, which is being asked of us in these times to really root in. And so we go off on that in really fun ways. So as always, the show notes are at belongingpodcast.com because Treva shares a lot of amazing resources. And I hope you enjoy it. And, 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 all the ands. I wish you a restful solstice season, yuletide season. If you're up here, if you're down there, a restful summer solstice as well. A real time of pause. A true cosmic astrological time of pause. May we give it to ourselves as best we can amidst all the expectations and ways we need to show up. May we find spaces for stillness and rest. So I will be on a little break because mama needs a break. And as always, I've learned not to make promises about when I'll come back, but I'll be back. I got ideas. And I know that before we plant the seed of the ideas, we dream them in and we see if they're actually a real thing that want to happen. So I'll see you on the other side and lots of love to you. Here's the episode with Treva Woods. Treva Woods, thank you so much for coming on Belonging. What did you say we were the embodiment of when we finally got on? We are the embodiment of non-urgency. Not being urgent. You heard it here. May it be so. <laughs> the reason we're saying that is because like we have rescheduled this conversation so many times. Always me. No, once you. Many times me. And I have to say, every time I've been like, 
ah, my kid's sick or, uh, it was probably a lot of my kid's sick or I have no childcare. And you'd always say, thank you for taking care of yourself and your family. Talk to you when it's right. And I just have to say, that's really nice to hear. Cause I think even in the, like my knowing that capitalism and like caretaking of a young child really don't weave together. I still feel like guilt and shame for not making it work. And you were so understanding. Especially for people like holding and caring for young beings, these young children. It's so time consuming and so much can come. I think as us as a culture need to just be much more accommodating and chill about all that. And we're helpful, frankly, more supportive. Yeah. So we're talking about that today. <laughs> we're talking about, yeah, you are someone who help create and foster community in person and online. You are a former teacher, right? Why don't you share a little bit about your background and your expertise and who you are, whatever feels true in this moment. Fair enough, because I don't have like my pitch all memorized. But, oh, yeah, uh, who does? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Yes, I was a teacher for many years for elementary students. And I also have done so many things. Let's see. I lived in Saudi Arabia and China. So I've had a lot of different experiences there and doing um, building community there uh, in each location was such like a life necessity for me. I am a mom. I have a big blended family here and I'm living back in the U.S. now. It's a different chapter in life. Where are you living? I am in North Carolina in a little town presently known as Hillsboro, North Carolina. Uh, but the traditional land of uh, one of many, but I will say the Okanichi uh, Saponi Nation. Mm, okay. And you provide community support online, right? That's sort of how we've connected is through Kelly Deals' community that we are the culture makers. Yeah, I help co-host that program. And I don't even know what to call me. The facilitator is not a right word. Community builder is a little interesting because, you know, community and online spaces is an interesting conundrum, if you will, right? Sometimes it's hard to call yeah. our online spaces true community, but there can be a lot of connection and a lot of space and um, for different connections to happen for people to build their their own networks and communities. So I love facilitating that. And I also do coaching and also hold a program uh, for, you know, digging into your own lineage and your own ancestry uh, and your own roots without culturally appropriating. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you and I have a lot of crossover interests there in building and holding community with online in person and lineage exploration that is really about repairing harm and being a better ancestor yourself. Yeah, I don't know if you want to share about your own ancestry, because I know part of our conversations back and forth here were about your identity and what you hold and with that. Yeah. Um, you know, as a lot of people living today, a lot of complexities in my own identity and how I identify lots of different quote unquote marginalization categories you can talk about. So uh, first is I have indigenous ancestors 
but I consider myself mixed race because when I was growing up, I didn't, I couldn't pass for white when I was growing up. Like, so it was always a thing for me. And, um, and my, my indigenous grandma and several of my family members did not pass for white, even though we lived in a small town in the Midwest in a very white culture. And we didn't have any connection to, um, our indigenous heritage, like it had been cut off. Like I, you know, unfortunately colonization and genocide worked and we, you know, are, there's no, there's no way for us to reconnect. Like there's a big, there's a big movement for you know, for indigenous people to be able to reconnect with their cultures. Um, and since, since no indigenous culture claims me, I am not, I do not claim to be indigenous. I like to, like, that's a really mm. distinction. It's like, so it's really about that identity is really an interesting and complex because um, if you believe in indigenous sovereignty, right, of the people that were originally here, then, and you believe in the sovereignty to, to invite their own people in and govern themselves accordingly, then we have to, we have to honor that they get to choose, right? And, because of my family's history, that's just, that's not even an option. So I, I'm in this real interesting, like, edge walker in that sense. And I'm just, I'm just, you know, tread very carefully on how to, how to honor that sovereignty and also honor my own experience and intergenerational trauma and how I mm. present in the world. Um, I'm also queer, fat, a woman, mom, you know, <laughs> tons, tons mm -hmm. of different other things that, Give me a different lens to look through the world. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm wondering if there's an education opportunity here for me and maybe others around um, you not being claimed. Does that have to do with blood quantum? Blood quantum came about from the federal government, at least in the in the U.S. So I, I live in America, and so I come from a, a, a U.S. A perspective and a government perspective there. I know Canada has its own kind of unique yeah. history. A lot of a lot of listeners will be from and in, in, in from around the world, but in the U.S., it's been um, the blood quantum because they wanted to get people off the rolls, so they didn't have to provide the few things that they actually did, even though they didn't honor any. None of the treaties have been honored fully at all um, mm -hmm. with with indigenous nations here in the states. But I would say that you know, as as if you were trying to track quote unquote blood quantum or how many, you know, if you were. If your grandma, for say, is quote unquote full blooded, right, then it would be, you would technically be a fourth, right? And, um, but that's not how, that's not how it works. That's not how indigenous culture mm -hmm. works, right? You're either in it and you're, you're with your family and you're being raised in it and you're a part of it and you're in the community. And or you might be reconnecting, you know, and that's, it's a very complicated mess because of, because of colonization and the genocide that's yeah. happened. So I, there's, there's no easy way, but the blood quantum is really a, a Western colonizer term. And some, and some tribal governments do use it, you know, in their own stuff. But in the United States, you can have state recognized recognition like the state you live in but also could have federal right and federal has stipulations that might be different from state so we have in North Carolina for instance a few different indigenous nations here that are recognized in the state but not federally 
Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. And so it has different degrees of like what kind of assistance or what kind of like, if you're in the national health, like the Indian Indian health service, I say that with quotation marks, but there's all these, yeah. you know, all these ways that things were named. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that distinction. Wow. Does that suck for you? Does that, is that give you grief around uh, identity and claiming and not claiming? I think it was more of an evolution for me. I'm really at peace at 45 years old now. <laughs> I'm really at peace with like my lot in life, you know, and, and if this say, yeah. and I've had a lot of time to really consider it and dig into it. And to be fair, I was raised in a very small uh, Midwestern town mm. in Iowa. <laughs> and there were a few people of color there, but hardly none. So the predominant culture was the white dominant culture, right? And then that's like the kind of the mores I have other than some of the trauma and and um, lack of the poverty, you know, like all, all of that kind of stuff is definitely true for that side of my family. But I'm, I feel really at peace with it right now. I feel really, um, really good. I feel like I stand in a lot of integrity. I feel like I'm, mm. I'm making real connections. Like I have one connection here that I, um, that's turning into a true friendship with an elder from a local indigenous nation here. And we've actually worked together and, you know, we laugh together and we have so much fun. You know, we go out for meals and it's a true, you know what I mean? But there's nothing like I get to do that and I get to support people who are in the indigenous community so much. And I don't, I don't need to claim that like that. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. It's like a, mm. it's just a real nuanced. And then we talk about that, like, like, you know, binary thinking, right. Is a trait of white supremacy. And so this is like a very nuanced take on uh, how do I, how do I honor my ancestors? Right. And so I do say I have indigenous ancestors because it's true. And that's why, and that's marked me in ways in my life in a real way, especially not being able to pass as white for most of my childhood. But I feel like I'm a good, because of the way I grew up and how I identify, and now I can kind of blend in, I'm much lighter now. I feel like I'm a good, I don't know if bridge is the right word, but you know, I can bring a lot of these topics that other indigenous peoples like get upset about and struggle with, you know what I mean? And bring it to people who are not indigenous and get them to be thinking about it and inviting them in a soft way that kind of levels that up. So then they're interacting in a more respectful way. I don't know. Mm. Bridge does feel like a great word. And I think what I'm hearing you say I'm like a, I'm just very visual. So like I see the web of life, like of all creation and and we are like a node, right? And then we have the web of life that comes after us, but then we have the web of life that connects us and then comes forward. You know, whether we have children or make, you know, friends that we go to coffee with or whatever, that's a, that's a connection. And, and I think if we can get so caught up in identity and this binaristic thinking, we forget about the web we're weaving and you're nodding emphatically. So you get it <laughs> like the, what it matters is your relationships 
what matters is your relationships. And, and I think this is something I, I teach and talk about is like seeing ourselves as ancestors now, you know, that like, that we are living the myths and telling the stories and like, yeah, it's 2022 and we're talking on the internet right now, but like if we get so caught up in, in the binaries or the what is and what isn't, we're sort of losing the thread of magic of like what we're weaving, what we are able to repair and what we are able to move forward as we become ancestors ourselves. So I just like saw you as that like glowing node in the web, weaving side to side, up and down all around with your relationships, with your family, with walking in integrity, with what you can share as the bridge and all of that. Thank you. This also makes me think of entitlement. Yeah. Um, and, and this comes up a lot when we talk about cultural appropriation, right? That's a lot of work I do. And when we think about acting with integrity, when we're thinking about being culturally appreciative instead of appropriating, and we want to act integrity with our relationships, me really being nuanced about my Indigenous identity is being really respectful right, of my relationships with other people, right? So indigenous people want to have the sovereignty, right, of who they claim, right? So that's me honoring that, because that's a relationship. Do you, do you know, like, yes, I yes. Yeah. And that goes with all the things. So it's like, any relationship we have, any, even ones we don't know about, because if we're trying to claim identities, or we're trying to practice rituals and traditions and stuff that it aren't from our own lineages and cultures, then we have to be really careful about treating that with respect and walking in integrity with those relationships. Because the people who came up with those traditions and who've and who practiced them, then when we do it, that's that's a little bit of a relationship that maybe they didn't ask for. Yeah. Yeah, there's so much woven in there. Consent, lineage, relationship building, whether it's like conscious or unconscious. Yeah, and going back to the entitlement piece, I think this is something that Carmen Spaniola actually modeled in in some space that she facilitates. And like talking about how how we can go ahead and feel grief when something is a no. So, you know, there's this like thing when you go out foraging, right? And it's a reciprocal relationship, right? It's a relationship Mm. and we forge. And so when you go out and you ask, like, hey, cedar tree, can I, how about this? How about these branches right here, you know, or these leaves right here? And sometimes you get this like really strong feeling of no. And then it's like, we should be able to just do it anyway, right? Like, we're just like, who says, Mm. you know, we can't just do whatever. And I mean, you could, right? But then, like, we're not entitled to everything. Like, it's okay mm-hmm. to feel like not everything belongs to us. And some things are a no. And that can be hard to sit with. That can be uncomfortable. And just, like, feeling our to our feet, kind of breathing through that, you know, and being with that feeling, accepting that feeling could be really yeah. be a really powerful practice for justice and integrity. Mm-hmm. And I find over time, I've sort of entrained my nervous system to welcome that feeling in a way where it's just like, 
Cool. All right. I'm feeling this. Wow. Okay. I observe you. I welcome you in. We are safe. We can handle this. My ancestors couldn't. They did a lot of fucked up shit. I'm going to make a different choice. You know, that's the goal for me to get to that. It's it's all those little, little acknowledgements and baby steps that'll get us there. Yeah. Thank you for sharing a bit more of your story and your expertise around that. I was really curious to talk to you about similar themes here of like being alive in this culture and trying to do it a different and reparative and more reparative way around community. And you were talking about online community and can that really happen is like a existential question. And I hold them too. And we, you and I were going back and forth over email about how there's this like romanticization of community or this idea of it having to be perfect or look a certain way. And I truly wonder how much of that is influenced by like pop culture. And I myself have been in the practice of like imperfectly talking about community and and sharing honestly about like what I bump up against. Like for instance, conflict and, and differing of opinions and, um, and like how to navigate that. So I, and you were like, yeah, I'm down to talk about how we can do community. And I'm particularly thinking about in-person local community networks, which that's a deep interest of mine, how we can do that imperfectly and how we can navigate those moments that I, I feel are, are similar to the like cedar tree saying no of like, you know, um, the, the Instagram hashtag sisterhood images, which I was a part of and maybe still am, um, of yeah, like flower crowns under the moon and howling and like, yes, that, yes, 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 that. And like, I have been in a circle that has had a massive schism, you know? And, and I felt that like fall from grace where I was just like, oh, it's hard. Oh, relationality is hard. So that's like one example, but I would love to hear anything you have to share. Like, please, I'm at your feet, share your wisdom around how we can realistically build local community networks and work through our shit around that. (laughs) So on that subject of imperfection, I'll be imperfect in my, one of my points, because I can't remember them all off the top of my head. But something that I've leaned on a lot is there's, there's a theory about building relationships and community and group building, if you will. And it goes, you know, like there's like a honeymoon period. There's like four stages, right? And I I might not be able to name them all perfectly here, but there's like a honeymoon period. And then I don't know if it's the second or third one, but where there's a conflict that happens. There's a little crack. There's a little something, right? And then there's the how then there's like getting through the mess, right? And how are we going to handle this conflict? How are we going to honor everybody's, you know, um, how are we going to handle respectfully and with, you know, with authenticity and just, you know, and integrity. And then there's like the grappling of like putting that back together, maybe setting some more norms and then, then having, and then once you've gone through some conflict, once you've gone through some hard stuff together uh, you're probably stronger if you came out the other side, right? Like, that's what I've always yeah. noticed is like, you're really stronger. And so this like, really, I don't know, this like, perfect, this like, Instagram worthy, picturesque of like, everyone just being sisters and best friends and, and everyone just getting along and always having a good time. 
uh, that are they human? I think not. <laughs> like, we're, what are we expecting from human beings, right? And um, and that's just not been the case for me at all or anything that I've witnessed. It's always the strongest groups I've been through have been a a little diverse. So I'll give an example. In Saudi Arabia, we started and we called it a sister circle, funny enough, right? Yeah. Back in like Great. 2010, 2011. I wouldn't call it that now, but that's what we did then. And we were using a, a book that I absolutely adore. Um, it's called Sacred Circles. You can link it in the show notes if you want. And um, and it was written in like the 90s. So it is not, like, it is not for the information age, y'all. And also, I believe it was probably two white women. I'm not sure. But um, so probably like not as diverse of an authorship. However, solid organization on stuff like that and, and talking about this kind of thing. And it was very successful. To my knowledge, that group is still going. That circle is still <gasps> hey! going. Yeah. And so that's like pretty amazing. I have no idea who's in it. It's confidential to who's in it, right? What you're not in it, you're not in it anymore. And it's not a big deal. But I was the only American. I was the only American. And it was so... It was so amazing to be with. Now, we did speak in English, but not everybody was a native English speaker. And we all like had such diverse perspectives. And it was worthwhile. It was worthwhile <laughs> to build that. And it took time. I wanted <laughs> to start that circle like a year or two before it happened. Like it just like I had to find someone to do it with me because it was a it was a shared leadership there was no one leader and um, mm -hmm. it was just a, such a great experience for me but the diversity so that was one thing having clear guidelines to what you're trying to do you know was really helpful another resource that I love to talk about when we talk about local community building and networking for you know for these times because the answer to wanting to keep things from getting worse or make them better or living through it resiliency if it does get worse is the same. And it's networking in your community, right? Like that's, it's really the same answer. And a person who teaches that, this is a funny recommendation, but it's Bo of the Fifth Column. It's a cis white dude, but he is really good at explaining. He has a video that we can, if you like it, we can link it in the show notes. But um he explains it for people who grew up in the culture that we have, right? In a way that's not, it's not about perfection. It's not complicated. And it, it's, I think we try to make community building much more complicated than it needs to be. I think we have a lot of expectations on it that frankly don't matter. But what I have noticed is it takes more time no matter what, it takes more time than you. It takes way more time than, um, but it doesn't have to be very complex. It can be as simple as, like in Saudi, I, we had like a community network on my street because, you know, if there was a new mom, uh, I would make, I make these like kind of infamous um I call them nursing balls. So I first made them for my sister. She like helped me with this recipe. And I've changed the recipe a little bit. But every time someone's going to have a baby, I make the huge batch of these nursing balls. And they're just like protein balls, you know, that taste yummy. And I freeze up a big batch and I would 
I drove my I rode my bike there all the time. I'd put it in the basket of my bike and like pedal to the house and like just drop him at the door and you know walk away. And we would do stuff like that all the time. And it was those little tiny actions that was that made it able for me to start making those connections over time. And here's the kicker. My son was in elementary school then. So I didn't have a baby. I didn't have a toddler. So can we just set down the expectation that people who are caregiving with infants and toddlers are the ones doing a lot of outreach? Because I just don't find that Ooh. I just don't find that sustainable. Like it's the people who are not in that season that are going to shoulder a bit more of the responsibility for caregiving and 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 helping out and reaching out because if you're trying to be a seasonal person and honor the seasons, like that's a huge season in life that requires a ton of care. It's exhausting. <laughs> and frankly, yeah. when I worked full time, like when I worked as a teacher, I didn't have time to do a lot of this little community building stuff. So I do think it's a part of our culture to keep us isolated and busy trying to yeah. keep a roof over our head and food on our table. But Yeah. Okay, I have to take a deep breath right now. <laughs> My heart is racing because I am the I am that woman. I am that mother of a two-year-old who gets on her podcast and her Instagram and goes like, we gotta make space and time for each other. I'm definitely the one who organizes the meal trains. And I, I do not lie to the people when I say I am tired. And things are falling through the cracks of my life. And I constantly battle with not enough, the not enoughness amnesia that is capitalism. And I do feel that frustration. I'm always commiserating with my friend Nisha Moodley, who I think is in the, the network we're in as well about this. And I have like publicly apologized to her on my podcast when I was a pre-parent and she had a young one and she was desperate for care. And I was like too busy, quote, too busy to support her. She was like desperate for support. And and then I had a kid and I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, that's it's hitting a nerve for me, Treva, because I guess I have this story in like our culture or at least like the the water I'm swimming in of our culture, which is like suburban, upper middle class nuclear family living, like the most respectful thing you can do is leave each other alone. And when you get out of like toddler, newborn, you're out, you did your time, you're done. <laughs> so yeah, help me, help me. I am so feeling you and hearing you right now. And I see you. And <laughs> here's the thing too. There's amazing book called How We Show Up by Mia Songbird. Amazing mm. book, recommended to everybody. And they talk a lot about the, and I'm using quotations, the queering of the family. Uh-huh. Right? Like, and, and the concept is that we're, we take the constructs of what this culture has told us, this isolated, um, you know, uh, independent, right? Not dependent on anyone else, nuclear family structure. That's all a capitalism construct. That literally is not how humans have lived ever. And let me say, they got us really trained because as an American who's traveled and lived overseas, we do not handle people in our homes very well <laughs> on the whole, right? Like we don't have relatives coming to visit for months, uh, let alone a week usually. 
now you can't even knock on the door. You have to text first or something. Like when we were growing yeah. up, at least you could knock on the door and whatever. But uh, that book really was so wonderful because it's like wipe that crap away. And so many fresh and amazing ideas, not only from the queer community, but this author is a black woman. And so like, looking at how marginalized people have managed to make yeah. communities and do networking so they could be resilient to survive horrific circumstances. Um, the, they, they're really the leaders in this, right? And their, um, their ideas and the way that they've made it work is really a sight to behold. And I just encourage everyone to really open your eyes. And I know it's an uphill strap. I have a partner here who is a cis white man and I love Mm -hmm. him absolutely dearly to my core. And he's also from the Midwest like me. And, um, and while that's really nice because we share some of those same values, he's very much like, we're not, I'll just get that tool or I'll just drive my kid to the school every day and not ask for the carpool or help or I'll do you know what I mean? It's like, it's, he's very much into the bootstrap, just take care of your own family and the pressures on yeah. them. Right. Cause in our culture, the quote unquote man in your heterosexual, like if you have a, you know, a heteronormative relationship is like the one that's supposed to make sure that everyone's provided for, you know, this whole like stress of that. And, um, Anyway, so we're, I'm constantly pushing his edges <laughs> and he's open to it for sure. But I'm constantly like, we could ask for help or we could come. And then I'm also modeling it. Like, you know, I just had a friend who had a baby this year and we've done tons of care work and caregiving. And he's always happy to hop on board and, and go help because they, you know, they have a baby. You can't, you know. <laughs> Like, I don't even, I shouldn't even have to say any more than that. And like, yeah, dot, dot, dot. In a sentence, period, full stop, right? <laughs> and it's, it's so, so funny to me because, like, that friend who just had a baby is always like, oh, I just feel like I can't give back. I can't. And I'm always like, <sighs> like, this not is not your, your time. This is not your <laughs> yeah. time. Like, like, there'll be another season for you to give back. And maybe it won't even be so much to me, but, you know, we can give back to it's a network. That's why it's like, you know, this web you were visualizing and describing for everyone is it's not a equal, always, you know, one point to another equal exchange. That's not reciprocity. Reciprocity is through a system. Reciprocity is through the community. Reciprocity is community care. And while you don't always want to take from somebody, obviously, you know, and never return or show gratitude or anything, that's not what I'm saying, but you know, I'm also imagining that in five years, that friend who I helped support through her, her, you know, pregnancy and her having a young, young child will be able to turn around and do it for her neighbor when her neighbor is going through the same thing. Yeah, a friend and former um, podcast guest, Jesse Harold calls it nonlinear reciprocity. Um, Just to like get us out of this, again, like binaristic thinking, like you have to, and I I do like painting the picture of the web um, because we, a lot of us just don't see, visually see it until we're shaken out of it. And then we're like, oh, wait. And I'm always like, tree internet, you know about the wood wide web? You know how trees take care of each other? That's us too. Just so you know, and it's hard to remember. It's hard to remember. It's, it's, 
and that there's a reason for that, right? So I think I find that shame can come up in me and in folks I support when they're just like, why is that so hard? Particularly white folks, you know, who are in higher class structures, uh, where like like where I am and like what I am. It's it's like and I, I, I truly believe it's like a call to all of us to really bust through this. And like you said, look to folks of color, marginalized communities that have had to rely on each other more to survive. Uh, and it takes, I often find it takes something like a huge catalyst, for, for instance, having a child to be like, or grief, like losing someone, someone dying to be like, oh, wait, this system doesn't serve me at, or us at all. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. My business name is called Mini Trees Lifeway for that exact reason. Like the visual is <gasps> all the trees together in network with each other and that underground. And we don't get to see that underground, right? Those are the stories. That's where the like where we edge away from in this dominant culture, where we edge away from the darkness and from the underworld and from, you know, the fungi and the you know, juiciness of the soil, we, we edge away from that just towards, just towards the sun. And yeah, that's just a little reminder for me and anybody who uh, now remembers my name. Many trees, life ways. Well, my name is Treva Woods. So <laughs> that's a real name. Oh, I figured it out. <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah, like I had any choice in the matter. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was bestowed upon. Wow. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Thank you. I'm also really grateful for what you shared about how you work with your partner around like communal relational ways. Because my partner, who I have interviewed twice on this podcast, a cis white man, and I sometimes find myself frustrated that he is not completely unlearned and that he is not entirely on board with the things I'm like literally learning about every day for a living. And he is like off doing his thing in tech, you know? And so, um, yeah, just like calling myself out in a very public way, which is my way of realizing that the subtle is maybe more effective Becca and that modeling community, which is really how I have done it and how I have and how he's come on board with so much, you know, he and I were born into this same freaking world of hyper individualism. And, you know, now we bought a farm that we're fully meaning for community, but yeah, right. The, the, the subtle and the slow and the asking and the bringing up and the modeling is the way of change is the way of the bridge. So I thank you. Yes. I feel like we might be twinning right now. <laughs> Oh, mine is also in tech, and I'm, you know, it's oh. <laughs> and I they're just amazing. But yeah. yeah, we can't expect them to be ahead of the curve, especially with all the like. I mean, I'm going to be unpacking this for the rest of my life, right? And this is where we have to keep like from getting burnt out, you know. Especially if you're really engaged in social justice and you're really engaged in those kind of spaces, um, and if you do any activism at all, it's super important for us to remember that this is the long game. And one of the analogies I like to use is that we're like, we're on a spaceship, right? There's so many you could use, but I get the spaceship one. So we're on the spaceship and we're heading to a different planet, not referencing Elon Musk at all. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you, I might have to come up with a new analogy. <laughs> <We're referencing> 
Okay, we're we're on a safe ship, and we are course correcting, right? Like we have a destination in mind, but it's going to take multiple generations to actually arrive at this gen- at this destination. Mm. And so, mm. while we're alive, we're course correcting, and we're teaching the people how to navigate. We're te- you know what I mean, and how to keep this thing running, and how and how and what parameters we're using to 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 do directions and, and all of that. And then as they grow into, they might even come up with better tools and better, you know, because they're building on what they've been learning. Right. And that's, what's been happening. Like that's our ancestors, right. We're building on the things that we're learning and we're changing and we do what we can, but if you burn out, we're not good to anyone, yeah. especially our families and the people that depend on us. Yeah, so I wanted to bring in urgency, which we began this conversation with, um, about how you and I are. Um, what was the what was the ter- word the the epitome of non urgency? It wasn't epitome, but um, that we're really trying to live a non urgent life. And I I just can't get enough of hearing about how urgency does not serve us because wow, it really wants to move through me. It just really presents itself. It's just like, hi, will you choose me today? And it's it's very difficult sometimes not to. So I'd love for you to share about urgency, please. Well, it's so hard because the message we get are everywhere. You know what I mean? About urgency and about how everything has to, and especially in the spaces I was just talking about, right? And I think that that's starting to change. Like, yes, some of the issues we're dealing with are life and death. I get it. You know what I mean? And yes, we're grappling with huge overriding messages from our culture and systems. Like these are individual people, right? These are, these are systems and man, it is so hard to let that stuff go. And it's like constantly unpacking, right? Constantly unpacking that and, and letting go of this idea that we're lazy or even I, like sometimes I look at the work I do and I think, and I'm not like making, I'm not rich by whatever rich means, but like, but I make enough to like pay my bills, right? And have a roof over my head. And it's, it's nice. And I'm not hurting myself to do it because I have a chronic illness. And so I've been so blessed to cultivate this work that I do in supporting other people and also, you know, doing my own work that I can take rest, that I can go out on my hammock and like read a book for an hour, you know, in the middle of the day, or that I can have a leisurely morning where I'm taking care of my body. And if my kid needs, I have high schoolers and middle schoolers. So my acute parenting times are right before school, right after school, and any sort of emergency that might have happened. And so, you know, I can be around for those times. But letting go of that messaging that I'm lazy, or that I don't deserve the money or the resources that I'm getting for the work that I do, and the value that I'm offering and the support that I'm giving is so deep, so deep. So my suggestion and what's worked well for me is that I continually make sure that I'm digesting messages that are going against that, right? So like, I subscribe to some Substack newsletters, I listen to a few different podcasts, like one of yours. And I am in communities, like the community that we're in together, the gathering space that Kelly Deals has, like, so many great messaging, great like connections. And so I'm constantly getting that because I I find that if I don't, 
I start to slip because then the only other message I'm getting is do it now, do it quick, do it fast. And I think as we get older, it's easy for us to get a little more perspective on this. But I can see now that, oh, if if I work at this for a few years, I'll something will start formulating, right? Like something will start coalescing and coming together. So like in the neighborhood I live in right now, I moved into my partner's home because he has four children. And so my son and I moved in to his home because, you know, that was just the easiest thing to do. And he lives in a very suburban, very suburban, like, little neighborhood. And it's pretty. It's very beautiful here. But I've been trying to reach out and have some neighbors I'm close to, right? And find some networks and find some support and find some care and community. And it's taken a while, but slowly... I now have a walk date with one or two of the people that live here that I've connected with, right? And you have to find them, though, like, because not everybody, you know, not everybody is down, you know what I mean? Like, not everybody is going to be a good fit for us. And that's okay. And I can say this is where technology can be helpful. So there's buy nothing groups. Oh, facilitated on Facebook. Yeah. And I don't like to get on Facebook trust. But when I am, I those that's what like mostly what I use is if I'm cleaning out or, you know, we have kids going through stuff, right? Like I want to make sure someone else has that stuff. So anyway, I do the buy nothing. And then you start like noticing some names and do you know what I mean? And like we have we're so lucky in our town. We have a co-op. So I tried to do as much of my shopping as I can at my co-op because it's like a little family there. Now, some of us that's we're not that's not in our means that that food might be too expensive or you know we don't have one but it's finding what can be close and just taking really little baby steps and trying to help when i have the energy when i can doing little things to support people in seasons where they they could use more care has mm. been really fulfilling and i don't know the bonds are getting stronger and stronger. And I can feel it, you know, I can feel those webs like really starting to get stronger. It takes time, y'all. Not, it takes time. And like trying to force yourself constantly or, you know, like if you're sick in bed, like you're not going to make an extra dinner for someone, (laughs) you know, like let's be, let's just like, let's like, can we just set our expectations much lower too? Because yeah, it's messy. It's it's just really messy. And, you know, it, it also requires a little bit of vulnerability, right? Mm-hmm. And it would be easier, I think, and it's richer to be more vulnerable. Like, I think it's Adrienne Marie Brown talks about the speed of trust, mm-hmm. right? Like, it takes a while to get to know people before we can trust and lean and share and, and, and ask what they need, give consent for that. Yeah. So... Oh, thank you for that. I love how one of the big through lines of this whole conversation has been about things taking time and to trust that and to play the long game. Um, That's very soothing for my nervous system because I, the part of me that uh, feels like beholden to urgency um, can rest in in knowing that there's actually an, an older, truer, more sustainable way. Like even you and me getting on this podcast interview right now was a trust in that. And it took a while. I, you might've pitched me a year ago, honestly, when you wrote me and were like, I want to chat with you. Like 
here we are now and the medicine is just so clear to me. I say to people often like life is short, but life is also long. And, you know, we also, we don't know what's going to happen, but like, also let's lean into the longness of it. And I just posted a thing on Instagram today about the art of the invitation for connecting with folks. And this is also tying into the fact that you and I had to cancel on each other a bunch of times and we're super cool about it. Like the point is the connection, (laughs) not, not like rushing something that's not a good fit in the moment, right? Because we all understand like life life happens. But the point is the connection you're fostering between each other. And that's really what I got from what, from what you were sharing. Also buy nothing. I'm obsessed. I have been in, and also hate Facebook, but will download it on my phone for buy nothing, particularly in like deep pandemic lockdown. When I was just like me and a nursing baby, like I have a devotional practice called buy nothing. It's so special to me and the ethos of it and the folks it calls in and the blessed admins who run them and the gentle ways we educate each other out of like transactional stuff and into a place of gifting. And, oh, I've just had the best interactions on it. So I think that's like a good, I hate the word hack, but like hack (laughs) of how to, to foster connection locally. And it's not going to look like your Instagram picture, right? Like right. those aren't good. Those might not be the people in that network that you're going to invite over for dinner, that you're going to, you know, howl at the moon over your campfire. But it doesn't mean it's not a, still a community network, right? It doesn't mean it's not adding resiliency to your community and to your life because it is. And these things can be layered. Right. Our nervous systems will tell us more than our feed will. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for this chat. I love everything you have to say. I love what you share. I love the wisdom you bring. Let's tell the people where to find you and where to get at you because this is good stuff. Yeah, I'm on Instagram. It's Treva slash Woods. Anyway, it's on the show notes. and um, It's on the show notes. And if you type it in, the algorithm finds you, I find. Just try and it'll find you. Yeah, my name is spelled different than it sounds. So it's T-R-E-V-I-A Woods. And so people get people get lost and confused. Um, and then I have a website called Mini Trees lifeway.com as in a lot of trees. And I have a little blog there. I have a newsletter and I offer two different services right now. You can sign up if you want a little extra help navigating the subject of cultural appropriation in your own life. Um, I have coaching for that. And then I also do support for entrepreneurs on their online spaces and in their programs. So Mm. that's my joy oh yeah you do a beautiful job being in a space where you're supporting folks it's so nice I remember one time someone posted like hey I need new pants and you were like here are my favorite jean companies and I was like what don't you do also bookmarking all of these well I just have to say and this is also in the Kelly Deals community, uh, the gathering space, is it's a very um, fat positive space. And I have a fat body. Yeah. And especially, um, I had a, I was a small fat before COVID. And after COVID, I am, I am a medium fat. And also, I have massive mobility issues. So I'm not completely able-bodied. And it's like a marked different experience. Like, 
it, it, this is probably the thing that I spend most of my effort and energy on now um, and that I have the most difficulty with. So anytime I can help someone who needs any support in uh, larger body options to feel awesome, I am down. Oh, yeah. Well, it's such a service. It's such a gift, right? This is care. This is care to each other. Oh, well, Treva, thank you so much for being here. Everyone go follow Treva, go check out her offerings and all of it. And yeah, we're shutting down shop now. And your birthday was yesterday. We're in the past recording this, but this is coming out the day after your birthday. And I'm just publicly saying it on the podcast. Happy birthday. Thank you. And happy solstice to us all. Everyone go rest now. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining me. In a time when our attention is being pulled in so many different directions, it means a lot that you took time out of your day to spend it with me and in these important conversations. For show notes and links and more information about my guests, you can head to belongingpodcast.com. And if you'd like to hear more from me and get access to my free newsletter called Slow and Seasonal, you can head to beccapiastrelli.com slash subscribe. 